Hey everybody, it's your girl Kes and your girl Cam and this is The Meetup where we get together and discuss all things relationships from romantic to familial and even work we're serving you our truths, our experiences and sometimes our setbacks. We are not experts but we're all here to learn together. Hence, The Meetup. Hopefully at the end of every episode you'll leave with either a new perspective, a deeper understanding of yourself or someone in your circle or even more knowledge on how you can navigate the people you encounter daily hey guys so we're back yep we're back another rough week it's always a rough week yeah unfortunately and yeah I mean just looking at Monday with what happened with Toyin and her murder and honestly even before that with Breonna Taylor's murder it's just been a lot weighing on us and if you guys didn't realize it's been 102 days since the murder of Breonna Taylor and the officers that murdered her the murderers are still walking free it's ridiculous it's so ridiculous and we as black women we named this episode protect all black women and we're always constantly doing just that well having to defend our womanhood our black womanhood and our lives it's just sad and so disheartening and it feels like the only people that protect black women are black women and we're over it we're very much so over it so we have a special guest with us today to kind of talk about this Yes, we have Johanna. Johanna is a Baltimore native, a multimedia creative, currently baking under the New Mexico sun. In her spare time prior to COVID-19 and the civil uprising, Johanna used to practice as a novice DJ. And she's also been involved with social media activism for six years and higher education for about three years. Now she mostly just watches Avatar and talks shit on Twitter. (laughs) same sis well thanks for being here johanna welcome welcome but yeah we just kind of want to start off with just some history and some background which i know you're super duper knowledgeable on so um you know obviously you look at all of these different movements whether it be like the civil rights movement the women's movement um just so many things where black women are the backbone of the movement but oftentimes historically you don't see that yeah i mean um I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, and I want to be careful because this isn't, like, my history to speak on in a way. Like, it is as a Black woman, but also I'm not involved in this organization, so I don't want to, like, step on toes. Um, if you look even at the um, the women's voter rights movement, right? So, like, um, the feminine, like, kind of the, the grandmother of the modern feminist movement, right? right. Um, Black, I would not say that in our understanding of that history, the Black women were at the helm, um, but there was an organization of Black women that would try to be a part of that march in D.C. Um, and then if you look historically at the treatment of, of those Black women that tried to be involved with that march, um, they were essentially told that Black women, well, they were actually told Black women were going to be at the back of the march. And then mm-hmm. they were symbolically and, and of course, thematically told that um, their rights were just kind of lesser on the radar of, of feminists. Um, and that is still true to this day. Um, and then when you look at the LGBTQ movement with um, with Stonewall, Stonewall was started by two queer people of color, um, by um, a black trans woman. And I don't, I think the, the butch lesbian was also black, but like, I'm not gonna lie, 
I don't want to lie to y'all, but also people should be doing their own research. So I'm going to just give you the props to look into it. Um, so, I mean, then we take this into like, okay, the Black Panther movement. And then if you look at the treatment of women in the Black Panther movement, like. Right. Patriarchs or patriarchs? Anyway, patriarchy or patriarchy. Um, and then on top of that, like, I mean, that's talking about American history, but the fact of the matter is that, like, matriarchal societies are very much a thing in Africa. Like, it is native to us to let women lead. Um, and then queer folks or gender-fluid people have literally always existed. Um, and recently, I don't know what museum it was, I saw it on Twitter, somebody, like, literally just came out and were like, yeah, we kind of excluded queer Black folk from our understanding of African history, or queer African folk from our understanding of history. And like, every gay Black person is like, well, duh, we already knew we existed. Um, and on top of that, when you look at other Indigenous groups or other Indigenous peoples, um, queer folks have have always existed, yes, but in some, in some groups they were revered because you were able to understand the experiences of both masculine and feminine people and walk that line. Um, specifically queer folks weren't able to have children. So a lot of your like first understandings of like adoption or surrogate parenthood was queer people in indigenous in indigenous history. Yeah. Um, but of course, like there's a quote that I remember from my AP exam that history is told from the perspective of the lion, never of the uh well I don't like that analogy because the lion versus the sheep and I'm not a sheep, it's just that y'all conquered the world. You're not better, you just conquered the world. Right. And I think that also ties into like, you know, that my that Malcolm X quote, like the most disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. And I think you kind of spoke to that, like, though we were like even in the Black Panther moment, the Black Panther movement, like you said, like it was just patriarchy on top of patriarchy. Like, obviously, women were there and women were helping out. Like, I think, Cassie, you even had a um, a statistic about that, like how Black women were integral to the movement and not really recognized for that. Yeah, for sure. And that, you know, many people don't know, but half of them were women. And a lot of them were, the average age was 19 year olds, which when I think about that and when I read that, it, it made me think of Toyin. Yep. Yeah. And it's like history just repeating itself. You know what I mean? I was going to say a fun fact, but then, I mean, Toyin is just on my heart. Actually, yeah. I got it. I got a plant the day that, um, that like we found out that she was no longer here. Um, and I named after her. So oh, it's like, right at my front door. Um, Shaka Khan also was a Black Panther, which added just a different level to listening to her music. I, was like, I didn't even yeah. know that. I didn't know yeah. that either. Yes, Shaka. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even know that. That's crazy. Yeah, like, yeah, like, like what you said, like, you know, that day, Monday, when we all like collectively found out about 20, it was just so heavy and so hard. And like, I feel like it hit harder, especially for black women, just knowing, like, knowing that struggle, you know, knowing like, people don't hear you, people don't see you, or people act like they don't see you. But they don't believe you. They hear you and see you, and they still don't believe you. Exactly. Here you see you, don't believe you, or, you know, sweep it under the rug, even if they did see it, you know? And it's just, like, so infuriating, you know? Just, like, turning a little bit onto how Black women are often hypersexualized, and Black girls are often hypersexualized. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, like we have some even some statistics on that because and I felt it so important for us to include that because more often than not, even, you know, black men want to pretend like it's not happening. You know, like so many black women have been told by their mothers or grandmothers when they say, "Okay, my uncle raped me. My uncle molested me. Keep it quiet. You know, don't say anything, you know, almost seen as them being honest about their experiences is like betrayal to their family. Their Their honesty is a betrayal, not the action that they're being honest about. Exactly. Make it make sense. I'm betraying my family, not the man who did this to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, how? Then what does this family stand for? Exactly. Exactly. And so just some like quick stats to throw in here right quick is just um, in adulthood, approximately one in five African-American women reported that they have been raped at some point in their lifetime. More specifically, 18.8 percent of black women in the National Violence Against Women survey. And what I found interesting about all of these different surveys is the reality is that most black women aren't going to say that they've been raped and come out about that. And so for every black woman that reports her rape, at least 15 black women do not mm-hmm. report their rape. And I think and, also uh, it's interesting that statistic, sorry to jump ahead. in, but um, I think that statistic is also interesting because like we even saw it on Twitter this past week too, you know, like people were just going in about like, oh, why do people want to come out now? Or like, you know, these people, like they said that, like the fact that somebody could even try to say that somebody would come out talking about their rape to get clout is so mind boggling to me. Like, do y'all ever think about that? Like people be like, oh no, like she's trying to get some clout. Like she's trying to come up off of me. Like, what, sir, nobody- what, no. what, What kind of of clout am I getting by saying that my body was harmed? What kind of clout am I getting by saying that something like, you know, this is this is a traumatic experience by bringing up that trauma just so I can get some clout off you. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And it it, it makes me so mad every single time because it's just like, sir, for you to be so self-involved that you think that, first of all, anybody in this world is that concerned about you. Second of all, that whoever calling you out is that concerned about you like take several seats because it was never about you that you damaging me would add value to my life exactly come on now what you think you got you Midas you think you got the Midas touch no honey um I just feel like anyone that can find pleasure in something so brutal and something so inhumane Anyone that can minimize something so brutal, something so inhumane, anyone that can enable something that is so brutal or inhumane or stand by or bystander or cap online for it, anyone, all y'all should be canceled. And I don't mean like, oh, we're talking about like, oh, I'm Twitter canceled. Everything I say is problematic. Mm, someone hurt my feelings because they're holding me accountable. No, I mean, you legitimately, like we as a society need to figure out what to do with you. Because you brought to everyone else. Exactly. That's so true. And I think it's the important thing that you brought up, like cancel culture. Like, you know, we've seen it obviously also this week, like cancel culture. Like people are so quick to be like, oh, you cancel. Oh, you cancel like over dumb stuff. But when it comes to the real stuff, like where are those guys who are calling out their friends? You know what I mean? Like they're so quick. Like even it's interesting, like me and my brother had a conversation about this and he was basically telling me like, you know, he had to break it down to his friends. Like if somebody comes to y'all and were to say like, something crazy happened like I would expect you to believe that person instead of being like trying to defend me because he's saying like obviously that's not his character but he's saying like we shouldn't intrinsically like immediately go to attacking the victim you know what I mean like it's important to believe that person and to understand where they're coming from like not to have this whole mindset that like oh well you want to bash my friend or like you want to tear my friend down because it's not about that 
Yeah. And it honestly makes me think of this one time in um, which I didn't even understand, like the depth of the situation. But this one time in middle school when this boy like hit my butt. Right. And I mean, like that was middle school. I feel like a lot of people have that experience. And I told my dad and he got suspended. You know what I mean? And then all these when I got back the next day to school, they're like, wow, that's crazy that you would get him in trouble or wow. Like, it's all your fault. Like now he's suspended and everybody wanted to shun me in middle school. And I was like, wow. You know, or people were like, did he even really hit your butt, though? And And that was middle school. Start so young, like the questioning of black women, like, are you telling the truth? No, you must be lying because this couldn't be my friend. This couldn't be someone that I, you know what I'm saying? Like, with no, you- I'm, let me, I got two things. For one, I saw a quote that I have been coming back to. I saw it on Twitter and I just have been continually circling about it, that men are quicker to believe a woman is a hoe than to believe that she's been assaulted. Yeah. And I was like, because all and all that does is show you where the value lies is that you're not concerned about me and my well-being you're concerned about your access to me Mm. right and that if i'm if i'm making decisions for myself about who i have sex with and how i do that then i'm a hoe for being for having for acting with agency and acting with autonomy about my sexuality but you don't believe that someone will go ahead and take um and would take advantage of that you're quicker to believe that I'm making decisions that you don't agree with as opposed to believing me when I'm saying someone has made a decision against me that no one should be agreeing with. Right. Um, and then on the flip side of like the whole being believed, I actually had a conversation with my cousins yesterday um, about toying because it's like a crazy like how, how social media is changing, how not even changing, has changed, permanently changed how we receive information. Um, Because we're talking about toying and and this this young black girl. And I, a part of me got incredibly frustrated with the fact that like, I was bringing this to the older women in my life and they had never heard of her. Like I'm talking about yesterday. We found out about toying on Monday. Saturday, I'm talking to my cousins about it and they had never heard her name. Um, But the conversation that we had was about like being believed in black families. And that like, you know, imagine how hard it is to be believed in public if the people in private in your household do not believe or support you. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm not going to get too much into like my own issues and trauma and stuff like that. But like there was a period of time where like I, I lied to protect the like my abuser. Um, and then when I realized that like and that was my exposure to lying was like protecting this person. So then when I realized that like me lying was like continuing my abuse, I was like, oh shit, well, I'm gonna just start lying for me. And then I became a liar. <laughs> um, and I was a liar probably up until like senior year of high school, but thinking about that, like how dangerous of a spot that put me into, going into college, going into young adulthood, that like I went off to college and my family did not have a reason to believe about pretty much anything that I said. Um, and, that, and at the same time, they used to have accountability in that because I was coming into my adulthood and I needed to unlearn some things but I also learned that from trauma (laughs) that was my coping mechanism (laughs) um and so I think about that about like okay like and uh, there's also a conversation about like okay well if you're sidebar like very quick pivot um about whether or not if you're guilty or innocent does that change your police interaction no I don't have to have never been a liar to need to be believed today 
Mm-hmm. That's not, I don't have to be immaculate. I don't have to go ahead and be an upright citizen to deserve not to die from the police. No one should be dying from the police. It should be like a hall, like a hall monitor that they see you do something and they write it down and then they go about their business. But instead they're shooting people who don't listen to them. Yeah. yeah. And I think even just going off of like the effects of sexual abuse, you know what I mean? Um, I was just like doing research the other day that there is a sexual abuse to prison pipeline for black women. And more often than not, young black women who are in prison have experienced sexual abuse. And a lot of times before the age of 13, you know, and it really, it really bugs me out too, of just like kind of what you said about the fact that black women are often seen as promiscuous or just like going back even to, to slavery of just like, Oh, they're just used for us, for our pleasure. You know what I mean? And a lot of times, I mean, at one point it was not even there weren't it, it wasn't even possible for a black woman to have been and legally raped like that. How that's how the system was like white women could be raped, but black women couldn't be raped because they're too promiscuous because they they like sex because that's because what they are. Exactly. Because they're not real people. Property. Exactly. They're just our property to be abused. Yeah, no, I I mean, because we even talked about this with like intimate partner abuse, the idea that like if you are someone's, then you can't be raped. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think, and I think some of the language, I think we have to start to unpack rape culture in our like in our culture because we talk about rape culture and we talk about like oh victim blaming and like I'm not saying these aren't real structures of like rape culture, but there are a lot more insidious structures of rape culture. Mm-hmm. Another tweet that I saw was saying that, like, the fact that we use I have a boyfriend as our immediate measure to, like, get a guy to stop talking to you. Oh, my gosh, no, it's so crazy. Because Kessie and I, when we were talking about wanting to do this episode, I was talking about that, too. Like, how, you know, even when a guy approaches you and he's like, oh, I'm trying to talk to you, like... I immediately just want to be like, okay, like, how can I be nice to this guy? Because I don't know how he's going to react if I turn him down, you know? And you're right. Like, that is a part of rape culture. Like, you are always on guard. You're always protecting yourself as a woman because you're not sure when it's going to be, you know, when somebody's going to use it against you or when somebody's going to use that to harm you. I just, I think that's, that's like what I'm, what I've been struggling with this week is that like, there was I had like a couple instances of like men acting crazy towards me recently. Um, I had a road rage situation where somebody got, I think I put a, I've tweeted about that too. Someone got out their car and crossed traffic to like threaten me at my window. Um, I mean, he yelled at me earlier into like us driving and like I flipped him off because he scared the shit out of me. And then we got to the intersection and he hopped out and like curved. Um, but when I talked to my family about it, a lot of the conversation was, you're a young black woman, you can't do that. And I was like, I mean, I mean, I can though, cause I did. Um, and on top of that, I was not wrong. I mean, yeah, it was rude, but like he, he accosted me while I was driving and I flipped him off and then he threatened me at my window. So yes. I mean, like my margin, I don't even want to call it an error. My margin of the attitude was adequate, if not more. And on top of that, I forgot his stun guns. So I was, I really could have light his ass up, and I forgot. Yes, stun gun. Yes, stay so ready. Whole, but I, the fact of the matter is, is that I have to. And then even yeah. that, I was like, okay. Well, clearly, me having a stun gun didn't make me feel safe. So I went out and bought. Um, I'm proud about this, though. I am very proud. <laughs> I got. Um, 
UV gel pepper spray. Oh, yes, I've seen it. So what it stains their face, but they don't even know. But if you put yeah. a UV light on them. Shut up, really? Just yeah. Like, yeah. Or Home Depot or Lowe's. I think it was Lowe's. I think it was Lowe's. But yeah. I mean, it's sad, but the reality is we, I mean, we have to stay ready. And I was, when we, me and Cameron were having this conversation, number one, I decided to start going into clubs with a ring on my left finger looking like I have a husband. I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm married. And I've never seen men be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And just like walk away. Or you even look at like when, you know, um, RIP to Nip, like when Nipsey passed away and, um, like people were coming out saying like, oh, so when Lauren's done grieving, you know, I'm in there. And it's, all of the people so in the- jump on him? They yes, were so only because she I was- it. I got, But yes. Yeah, but yeah. I think, it, I think it also brings up that conversation of like, you know, how we shouldn't have to be viewed as somebody's sister, somebody's wife, somebody's mother, somebody's daughter, in order to be respected as people. Like, you know what I mean? Like, why can't we just exist as human beings in- be deserving of respect in the eyes of a patriarchal society. Like, y'all make me pull up my notepad because you're bringing this <laughs> <up> <laughs> something. And I'm like, I want to make sure I don't forget this. First off, to the nip to the Nipsey comment, right? Okay. There's one person in particular, if y'all was watching it, that was involved in multiple conversations around assaulting women, around expressing himself. Like, just Kodak is a problem. Kodak Black is a problem. And we need to, I love no flocking like nobody else, okay? <laughs> I do, I do. I also, I, but I will say this. I feel like Kodak reminds, Kodak fans, like Kodak Gohards remind me of young boy, uh, what is it called? Uh, NBA young boy, him and his fans. Mm -hmm. Because Kodak <laughs> has consistently been a threat and a predator. He had, didn't he have like multiple cases open about assault? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we he already has an established history of being a shit or so off some wild shit. Um, when he made the comment about about Lord London, niggas was at his throat, at his throat. But everything else. About da -da 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 -da. But when young, when he said that he would assault Young and May, streets is quiet. I mean, crickets. Exactly. Nothing. Nobody said anything. 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 I think. Oh. And on top of that, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. That'd be gay. There's no way. Younger maid, I love her. She's but she's a very hard masculine dyke. It's cool. I okay. I'm a lesbian too. It's fine. <laughs> Niggas that be going after dykes are gay. And that's real. And that's okay. <laughs> I welcome them into the community. It's cool. What's up, fam? But um, nah. If you want to assault a lesbian, you it's either two things. Either you like a struggle because you know she don't want to be there, which is fucking what the fuck. Or you're into masculine people. Which is also fine. Well, that that's fine. That is the one fine option out of this. But the point that I wanted to bring up was like, okay, so Kessie and I were also talking about like, you know, this whole pretty privilege thing. You know, like in addition to Lauren London being somebody that was engaged to Nipsey Hussle, like they weren't married, were they? Were they married? I think they were engaged. They yeah. hadn't gotten married yet. Lauren yeah. London being somebody that was engaged to Nipsey Hussle, like she also is someone that men across the board, you know, view as attractive, right? So Cassie and I were just kind of talking about that, like how it's kind of sickening that your your appearance or your attractiveness can also be used as a term to determine your worthiness of being believed, your worthiness of being protected, your worth, or your worth of being, period, of being respected. And it's just like, 
how do men arrive at this, you know, who is worthy and who is not worthy? And I think that kind of also ties it back to like, I don't know if y'all ever heard like that term before when they were saying like, black men are like the white men of blackness, you know what I mean? Because of the privilege that they are able to you know to hold yeah yeah the privilege that they're able to yeah hold over black women it's yeah. just like, so sorry i have i had to go ahead and find it but there's a a young black scholar that i want to quote directly speaking on what you're talking about mm-hmm. um her name is gervais uh, on instagram so that's g-e-r-v-a-e um so she says because beauty is a virtue we also punish Um, and lose empathy for those that lack their proximity to beauty. Beauty is idolized results of privilege. Beauty is internalized and results that can, um, beauty beauty internalized results in confusion that privilege, of privilege with value. We admire natural beauty in theory, but natural beauty in real life isn't about beauty, it's about what it symbolizes, power, proximity, and stratification. Um, It provides, um, but it also divides. So her last thing she said, when we say black is beautiful, we have to understand that beauty is based on the belief system that limits and ranks us. For every way you celebrate someone that is, uh, someone else that is beautiful, there is someone else that is punished. Black people are worthy of love outside of beauty, outside of capitalism. And then my whole thing to that was, I was saying that it's about social capital. So, um, and that was on Instagram. So specifically in like the microcosm of Instagram, beauty is literally weaponized. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you look at it, like what's happening right now with the ability to educate people about anti-racism cause and like and unpacking all of these systems, people with the, the largest platforms are considered to be most beautiful. And then this whole thing with J. Cole comes up to talk not just about beauty, but about visibility and about celebrity. And that mm-hmm. we understand people that are, be, that are incredibly visible to somehow be in, have some moral authority or be some kind of, you know, expert when no, they are just seen, heard, and monetized. Yeah. That's literally, that is the criteria to be famous. Kim Kardashian is an example of that. And no disrespect to her and her little instance project or whatever the fuck, but like, I'm no disrespect, you know what I'm saying? I'm never gonna be against anyone doing sex work, but like, we also have to recognize how, how she became a celebrity. She did not come become a celebrity because she was an intellect. She is, she could be an intellect, but that is not what we know her for. Right. Why are we, why are we asking so much of people who literally have shown us so little of themselves? Yeah. And I think that goes to just like, I, I remember Don Lemon coming out and saying, where are the celebrities? And like listing all the different celebrities. And then Dave Chappelle coming back in his special, basically saying like, the streets are talking. I'm not going to over talk the people who are on the ground doing the work who are far more knowledgeable than I am. And I don't know why I get it, I guess it frustrates me. Everybody feels the need to speak out and everybody's like, well, you haven't heard from this person. You haven't heard from this person. And honestly, I just feel like you're not knowledgeable. I'm glad that I haven't heard from you. Okay, because you. I, I just think misinformation is a problem. Would your Scott say, maybe we can just be quiet? You know what I mean? Like, if you're trying to say, like, stand in solidarity or if that is what you're saying, but please don't provide misinformation. And, and I would like it if you would use your platform to then showcase those that are speaking and those that are educated and those that are knowledgeable. Those who are experts <laughs> instead of pretending to be an expert. You know, exactly. that you know all of these things and you don't. And I think that kind of goes back to like 
the whole J. Cole thing. You know what I mean? Like, okay, here's Don Lemon saying, oh, we haven't heard from celebrities. We haven't heard from celebrities. But then when we, we hear, hear from, from the celebrities, <laughs> the whole thing, like... Well, baby, you could put that back in the oven. You could have cut You in. know? <laughs> okay, so like... J. Cole, obviously, he is a person, like, Kessie and I had a conversation before this as well. Like, he's a person who speaks from his perspective, who speaks from what he knows. And his personal life experience. So that is what he poured into this song. However, read the room. (laughs) Read the room. Yes. Read the room. Read the room because was it the time? No. Was everyone on a very like specific topic of how black women aren't listened to black women aren't valued. And then here comes this song that kind of reinforces that, you know? So I don't know. It's just like times we don't always need to hear from celebrities. You know, if you don't have the knowledge and he said, what he said that he don't be reading. Yeah. He said, (laughs) he said that he's thinking I'm deep, intelligent, full by my college degree. My IQ is average. And it's like, okay, thank you for saying that. My IQ is average. But you know what? I will give him, I appreciate him letting us know that he's. Yeah. Like, I'm not knocking him. Yeah. Like, you know, tell me your IQ is average. And be honest. Because, in all honesty, we should not be idolizing these folks. Exactly. We should not be idolizing these folks. No name said it. said it better than I can ever say. And that's what I was trying to look up the lyrics so I could quote her exactly, but it happened. But that, like, why is he talking about me? Why? Why are you talking about me? Why? For what reason? For Because at that point, it's like, okay, what is this merit? Not even meriting the two of them as artists. What is this meriting the culture? What have you contributed to hip-hop culture with this conversation? Everything that you do, I mean, and I, I'm a Beyonce stan, so I mean, I'm going to go hard, and I'm going to But every piece of, of, I mean, since she started to manage herself, I'm not talking about, like, when her father was managing her, but, like, Every song has been adding to her legacy, add, contributing to something about like the history of Black people in music. Every song. And I would say the majority of J. Cole stuff, I feel like contributes to hip hop culture. Oh, absolutely. Majority. That shit did not. Yeah, and I think it, because I completely agree of just like, where are we taking this message? You know, yeah. and if you didn't say she, and if you didn't direct it to a woman and a black woman specifically, then maybe the message wouldn't get so lost because people are like, if you just saw it as a he versus she, that you missing the message. Mm-hmm. How did we frame the message though? Like as yeah. creatives, as content creators, we have to really look at how we're shaping the messages that we're putting out there, you know? So if you didn't frame it this way, maybe we would have been able to see what you were saying, which was, you know, as a person who hasn't, isn't as knowledgeable or for people who aren't as educated on these particular topics, you know, we don't want to feel um, attacked and we don't want to feel like, like we're stupid or anything like that. And we would like to be spoken to a specific kind of way, whatever, if that is your message, you know what gently. I mean? Talk to me gently. I'm but sorry. From what I, from what I understood about gender roles, men were supposed to be rugged. So this one didn't need to. <laughs> you know, and maybe. That maybe, that sounds soft to me. And maybe it wouldn't have been a he versus she and a talk to men gently if he would have made it, you know, people who aren't as educated on these topics mm-hmm. versus people who have had the privilege of being educated on these topics or who who have just educated themselves but on these topics. right, though, because women and queer folk have been at the forefront of literally everything. Mm-hmm. Everything. Yeah. But when he said she, he said it he correctly. He meant she. He meant she. Yeah. 
And, the, and historically, contextually, that is correct, is that the woman that he's asking to, and, I, and this is another tweet that I saw, is that Black women has to read the book, comprehend it for themselves and for everyone else, and then regurgitate it. And not just in what they read, but they have to go ahead and simplify it for your ass and yep. then make it simple and gentle. Yep. So what it sounds like is you need a wet nurse. It sounds like you need your mother's kid. <laughs> because not every Black woman around here is trying to pacify you. Yeah. Just, it's not my job. Mm-hmm. You are an adult, just like I am an adult. Take take the gender out of it, cool. Because in general, I mean, I identify as like a black woman that lives outside of the binary. Because binary expectations is just some, some bullshit in the first place. But like, take gender out of it. If you are going to look, I mean, I'm been watching Avatar a lot, so I'm just <laughs> sorry. It's yeah. just Isn't so it back on Netflix? I, I, yeah. yeah, it's, it's on so Netflix. Good. It's so good. But you don't see in you don't see Aang. Aang is the Avatar, and and the masters of the different like um the different skills. Be talking mad shit to him. He is the avatar and he knows how to sit still and learn regardless of how it's given to him. He need he is the avatar. He has all his power, but he still needs to learn from someone that knows how to do this one specific thing and mm-hmm. he still take their shit. And on top of it, as black women, and I was thinking about this the other day, is that like black women and queer folks, because actually there was a pride event that I went to last night, not went to, but like on Zoom um, last night. And I was thinking about like why... I mean, yes, I love that there's beauty, beauty that there's unity between like black women and queer folks. There's just a certain kind of like connection that we have. And I don't understand it. I mean, as a black woman that is queer, I get it because it's all of me coming together. Um, but like the, the connection between like black women and gay men, right? Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about it, it's like, you know, it's because we're both subjugated to the patriarchy, is that we're both seen as submissive. So our lived experience is literally in the framework of someone else's entire being so yeah we have a commonality in a sense of kindredness because we are both living in a man's world even men that love men are still living in a man's world even queer folk that live outside of the binary and out of gender are still living in a man's world um and that got me i'm gonna come back to your question before about pretty privilege is that like i mean it is still about social capital and the reason why i don't super love sticking on conversations about pretty privilege is that there's not really, I'm not asking pretty people to become ugly. I'm not asking them to give up their privilege. And the same with mm-hmm. it, I'm not asking a white person to give up their privilege. I'm just saying, do some shit with it. Okay, yeah. you got more money than I do. And what the fuck are you doing yeah. with it? Yeah, and I think it's interesting that you said that too, because like when we were having this conversation about pretty privilege, I feel like colorism also comes into it as well. And you know, in the black community, colorism is a thing. And a lot of people like to try to act like it isn't a thing, but obviously it's been a thing forever. And it was just really interesting to me the way it came up because I was having this conversation with um, my mom and my aunt and we were just talking about, you know, like our heritage, our lineage. And um, my great grandmother, she is half white and half black. And like her dad was black and her mom was a white woman who was um, born out of wedlock and sent to live with the slaves, right? So then she like, I know, crazy, right? I mean, I like, it's, it was interesting to me because I feel like, especially in today's society, we like to think, oh, like we're so removed from slavery, which clearly we are not just a few generations back, like, you know. So my great grandmother's mother, she was sent to live with the slaves. She was raised by black people and ended up you know, marrying a black man. And so it was just really interesting to me because like my grandmother, she is like one of the darkest of all her siblings because like she came from, you know, a mixed a mixed situation. Um, she's like one of the darkest of all of her siblings. So I was like, wow, like talking to my mom and my grandmother, I mean, my mom and my aunt about it, like, wow, like that must have been a difficult situation for her, you know, like, 
you know, I'm sure that she was maybe really ridiculed or like faced certain things that her brothers and sisters didn't. And she was like, my aunt said to me, she, well, she was like, well, you know, like she was beautiful. So like, you know, like as if her being gorgeous, as if her being pretty, like absolved her from all of these issues. And I'm just like, wow, like that's such a crazy thing because it's like. Well, then her prettiness overcame her being dark skinned. Yes. Like as if her prettiness <laughs> overcame that situation for her, as if like that didn't like that took away from the burden that she had to carry, like in a society that was segregated, in a society that was racist, you know what I mean? But it was like, but she was beautiful. So like, that just kind of was mind blowing for me because I mean, as I've grown up, like my grandmother, I'm also like considered one of the darkest people in my family. So like my grandmother's always been like, you're so beautiful. Like that's always been like a thing in my family, like to reinforce for me that I'm beautiful. So I'm wondering like, was it a thing more of, you know, she actually felt this or, thing that she like had to tell herself to make her feel more you know yeah. I don't know I, I know exactly what you're talking about yeah um, so I'm like in a part of like four families I'm in a blended hybrid family mm-hmm. um my mother is half Liberian and half um light-skinned black like I don't know I mean that side of my family is like incredibly culturally mixed yeah. well not incredibly but like native white and black um, so my grandmother and all of her grandmother's siblings could pass the paper bag test easily. My grandmother, if she didn't talk and if she wasn't older and she'd have age spots, she could pass her white. Her hair is too kinky, or but like my grandmother is very fair skinned. Mm-hmm. So much so that like, let's hold up a story. My birth was interesting because my dad's side of the family is very dark skinned and I came out damn near white. Um, so my great grandmother happened to be at my birth because, and it's fortunate because otherwise I don't know how my dad would have known that I would have came out looking just like him because I was not this color. <laughs> um, but my dad's side of the family is um, is just all Southern Black. And actually, like, my grandfather's a genealogist, so like we have a very long history. Wow. Probably the entire history of my family has been in the South. Um, so with my mom's side of the family, though, because my mom, like I said, is half African, half Black, um, but her father moved, moved back to, divorced my grandmother, moved back to Liberia, and had my uncles, and so... My, my mother grew up with her American family. Um, so she was the dark. My grandmother had 13 siblings, right? Oof. My mother, there's three cousins that are the darkest in my in that generation after that 13 siblings. My mother and two of my male cousins, right? Um, and then, of course, I'm, the generation, my generation is incredibly, like, varied as far as colors because at that point, we're just so far out. But still, like when my great grandmother passed at her repast, I was one of the darkest things in the room, right? And so, and that's been a conversation between my cousins. It's like, oh, am my brown skin or my dark skin? And like, I've never had any quorums about it, but all of them know definitively that they're light skin. So yeah. like, it's like a, it's a conversation to be had about me. And honestly, the real answer, it, it depends on the season. Really, really in, winter, in winter, I am light skin. <laughs> During the summer, I am brown skin. Um, but then my dad's side of the family, who is, like I said, all Southern Black, um, very much so dark skin, or like, they're just Southern folk. I wouldn't even, this is the color that you think of when you see people from South Carolina. Um, and in that space, I'm light skin. Even my darkest, I'm fair. Um, so the way, the conversations that have been had about me, like with, like with one of my grandmothers, um, she's very dark skin. 
And her mother told her that she wasn't supposed to wear certain colors. She mm-hmm. wasn't supposed to wear certain colors. She couldn't wear certain lipsticks and like really pressed into her what it meant to be a dark skinned black woman. Mm-hmm. And so she looks at me and for one, I'm already not femme enough for her. I am her biological, I'm her only biological granddaughter. Um, so I'm not pretty in that aspect. But in addition to that, it's like I'm wasting something. It's like the, the feeling that I get from her. Is that like I, I have something that she doesn't have and I'm not using it to its fullest potential. Um, and, it's, and, I, and that's the undertone of like comments about like my appearance. And it, it frustrates me, but I also understand because it's not even her fault. This is something that she was given and that she, that she doesn't even know that she's passing down. And I, my thing is for me, and my, for me and my household, me and my future children, the book stops here. Like, yeah. there's a certain shit I'm not bringing into my house. And on top of that, it doesn't serve any of us to get caught up on any of these things. These yeah. are systems that we didn't choose to have. So we have to rig it to work in our favor, but like feeling better about yourself because you like skin and pretty, like, but what oh did you my do gosh. To do that? Yes, I hate that so much. And I mean, I'm light skinned, you know what I mean? But I hate that so much. And my dad, like, growing up, would always be like, don't think you cute because you like. Okay. And I mean, like, you know, he went to Howard and, like, you know, he would always be like, don't think you cute because you like with that curly hair. You're not cute because you like. And would make it a point to, like, say that, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, growing up, it was never like a thing of, like, and, I sit in a lot of different positions of privilege, you know, being light skinned, having curly hair, all of it, like having a very like feminine physique, you know what I mean? Whatever. Um, But in my household, it was just like the conversations look so different than the households that I hear it about. And because of the fact that, you know, that privilege of having my dad who attended Howard University, you know, so he wouldn't allow those conversations into the household of like, oh, you have really good hair or you have better hair than this person has or like, so I never heard those inside of my scope that was outside conversations. But what bugs me out though is just like, even, and I thought so many more people kind of like knew about colorism and now it was becoming a thing where the conversation like, People are having it often. But even the other day, I had a friend who was like, we, we were going for a walk and she was like, ooh, girl, we got to get in the, we got to get in the shade because um, I'm not trying to get any darker. I was like, what? I'm sorry, what? And she was like, uh-uh, like, I'm just too black already. Like, I'm not trying to get any darker than I already am. And I have I a like, beloved, a beloved family member, like in my heart, family member who hides from the sun during summer. And this is a young person. And I'm like, so what the fuck? Where did we fail? Because I refuse. Like I said, I will yeah. have it in like, what, what did we do? Like, even with me, like, because I'm, and like I said, with my, my dad's out of the family, I'm lighter to them, right? But I'm light with kinky hair because my mother is still half African. <laughs> yeah. um, so, like, my, my nanny used to call and give me slave braids. That's literally what, what, what she called braiding my hair. <laughs> Um, that my hair was so thick. I mean, on top of that, South Carolina black also ain't the smoothest hair in the world either. But um, but like that, that my hair was so coarse that it would like almost cut her hands. And I'm like, I... she would say that. She would say that your hair almost cut her hands. She would complain about having to braid my hair. Wow. <laughs> Neither wow. one of us liked it because it hurt for me, and it hurt her to do my hair. So. I just really hate that. I really hate that. And I guess it it pisses me off that that's still happening today in the present, even with people in our generation of like, you still 
are perpetuating this conversation, like you're still letting that go on. Like even when I was working at Men's Warehouse, there was a, I think honestly, it was a little racially ambiguous girl who was talking to um, a dark skinned girl who was like, I'm prettier than you. Your hair's not as good as mine, da 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 da. Today, today, who are your parents today who are allowing, who are teaching you that? No, it's so infuriating that it's still going on today. But what I loved about the conversation that you just had, Jay, was that, you know, seeing that happen, you can make the decision. When I'm going into my family, this is not going to be happening. We're going to have these conversations. We're going to nip in the bud because this cannot go further than me. And I think that's a very important thing to take away from what we're experiencing today and what we are enduring is that it can stop here. It doesn't have to continue after me. And that's what I think is beautiful about what you were saying, Cassie, is that like, I didn't, I mean, I hoped and imagined that I didn't know that there were like households where colorism wasn't as big or yeah. a present of a thing, or that there were conversations that being had with light-skinned girls about, listen, you're not just cute because you got to go light eyes. You know what I'm saying? Um, but that also gives me hope. And I think that's what like, what I love about, I mean, specifically about Black Twitter. I'm not even going to lie. I feel like I didn't <laughs> Twitter just because of Black Twitter. Um, <laughs> but is that like, because blackness isn't a monolith, I get to see all the different lived experiences of blackness on my TL. And like, and I will, I mean, I'm not gonna say, I'm gonna say and talk gently to people at all, no. But I am gonna say that like, I, I take that into mind that like, there are so many different lived experiences of blackness. And like, I don't wanna, I recognize that there are privileges that I have that like, are even hard to articulate because they're just so ingrained into me. I grew up with someone that was a civil war reenactor. My grandfather was a black historian. Yeah. That is a privilege. Yeah. So the knowledge that I have, the ability, the things about me that make me want to talk down my nose at people, other people just don't. And that was a gift. I'm not better of a person because I was gifted. So I didn't do shit to get that. I was born into this family. <laughs> like, like, um, but it's beautiful to hear about other families and other like things that we're doing to be, to be um, disruptive to the systems that we were given. Yeah. And I think like, We'd be remiss if we didn't bring up just Black trans women and how lost that conversation gets and all of it. Like, I don't see as many posts about Black trans women and the violence towards Black trans women in conversation. Can I make a comment real quick? Because if I feel like if we're going to get into this, we should really dig. Um, One of the oldest tropes about Black women, there's two actually, comparing us to monkeys right and comparing us to men so it is so difficult and i believe and this is the reason why i think it's difficult for the black community to really grapple with our transphobia because it requires us to look critically at what we have consistently been been not only called but we felt a need to respond to because the response to black women being called men isn't for anger frustration at the person calling them that it's this need to hyper feminize right and that's not you are allowed to be whoever, however, because allowed isn't even a word, babe. You are celebrated. You are you are literally a manifestation of God's being on this earth. You were placed there for a reason. Regardless of what your experience is, how you identify it, you are still a gift to God's earth. So, like, we don't have to do anything to police our identities. You are what you are, how you are it. It's fine. But I do think that it is a struggle for us is that not every Black person feels whole in their Blackness. Mm-hmm. People feel the need to police themselves in their identity. And so the idea that someone would live outside of those expectations 
is like cognitive dissonance that you would be comfortable living outside the boxes that I put myself in every morning. How dare you be free? Mm. Mm. Man, that was a word. <laughs> that was a word. <laughs> but it really also like it made me think of I, I recently read the book Becoming and it was like interesting that you say, you know, they look at us as like animals, monkeys or men, because I feel like that was a lot of like what you would see in the media connected to Michelle Obama. You know what I mean? Like they would not let her the president's wife. Exactly. Michelle is gorgeous. I don't have to hear her politics. Michelle is fucking gorgeous. And y'all have been quiet about literally every other preacher, I mean, preacher, president's wife, except Michelle. They never attacked anybody else's attractiveness like that. I don't think ever. Like, but because it was a black woman, they had so much to say. Yeah. It was just crazy. And like, just reading that book too, just like opens up your eyes. Like, why are people so, I mean, why are people so hateful you know why are people so hateful but like honestly it's just crazy like that people just feel the need to drag people down like this and I feel like it's even something that we're still seeing like on I mean obviously people are always gonna be haters right but Mm -hmm. even just the way that it comes out like on Twitter on social media is just I don't know I don't know how I don't know how we endure this how we deal with this we don't like the asses I'd be cutting people I be cutting people, and I already. This thing is, I already have a mouth. I had a mouth on me before this shit. So, but I also have. I'm learning text, and I'm unlearning that shit, man. I don't care. I don't. You want to talk to me fucking crazy? I'm talking to you fucking wild, wild. I'm from. I am from Baltimore, Maryland. I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Folks out here are very much anti-conflict. They are very much very quiet. Okay. But then they want to go ahead and be microaggressive. No, I'm going to light your ass up. You're going to feel very stupid. Very dumb. Because I don't want you ever... And I think that's what I, I said to one of my coworkers. Because I used to work in residence life. And um, we were talking about our different approaches to handling students. And so this guy I was talking to was a white guy. And he was talking about having like... I mean, we talked about restorative justice before. But uh, his, his whole perspective on talking to students was that like... Um, how, See, I don't, know, I don't know how to objectively explain it because my style is so different. Um, but a really gentle and nurturing approach, kind of hand-holding. Like I said, I'm trying to be objective. Um, but my whole thing was, no, I'm going to treat you like how you should be treating, how you should be treating authority in Black women for the rest of your life. You're not going to come in my office talking crazy. You're not going to stand up while I'm sitting down. These are things I'm just not going to accept. Not just for me, because you are a college student, right? You are going to interact with a lot more Black women in the rest of your life, and I want this to be a, a foundational lesson for you. Mm. Okay? So it's not just a, respecting me isn't even just the point. It's that I want you to know every Black woman has the ability to cut you down with her tongue. And we choose not to. Mm. So when we're being kind and being nice, take that as graciousness. Take that as a gift. Because I could make you feel incredibly small. Because all that you feel confident about is built off of me and my history. Ooh. Just kind of like to wrap all of this up, I feel like the thing that has been going on around on social media is like, bruh, family, people, stand with us. Like, stand with Black women. Like, why is it that Black, the only people standing up for Black women is Black women? Yeah, well, us. It's not all of us standing up for each other. And even talking about, like, like I was saying, Black trans women, not yeah. all 
not everybody's standing up for black trans women. Not everybody's acknowledging every different type of black woman. Mm-hmm. I think to that point, like, cause I, and I, I'll, I'll say this and it's probably the last thing I say. Um, cause like relevant to me and my identity. I think I've always known since I've been in the queer community that I wasn't like, okay. When I came out, there was like two types of lesbians. There were femmes and like dom or masculine people. Right. And so, but I always knew that they didn't, those things didn't fit for me. Cause that's exactly what I had in the heterosexual world was men and women. And I was like, this, this doesn't work for me. Um, but I never felt like I could really like adopt the words for like non-binary or gender fluid because I felt like I was like, I was giving back the gift of black womanhood. And I, I, like, I could never like, and I will never put, I was gifted black womanhood. Um, so yes, my understanding of myself is outside of other people's understanding of my black womanhood. Um, but I can never like say like, and I don't, not to say that the trans men are like putting down black womanhood. No, you are who you are. Like I said before, you great. But like for me and my, for me, I, I don't have the ability of separating my understanding of myself from black womanhood. Um, it is everything. It is it is both who people see when they see me immediately, but it's also who I see when I see myself immediately. Um, but our understanding and ability to like navigate all that it is, I just stopped trying to like put words to it. I don't know. I'll be a magical black person. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Um, I think that like we have to give ourselves grace. Like I struggle because I feel like, especially at the different intersects of like identity that I'm at, I see everyone cheating on everyone on a consistent basis. Um, and I think that it's easier to look down on other people than to like look at yourself and say, what am I doing? Like, and I think that's what frustrates me with cancel culture kind of like wrapping this, um, is that, and Obama said it. And like, you have, you have to realize there has to be a lot in order for me to like quote him. Um, but he said it, that our generation, we think activism is sitting behind keyboards and telling other people that they're shit when we aren't fixing the shit in us. And I, I can't, I can't take away from that. Like, you don't have to be, to your point that you said before, you don't have to be anything to be deserving of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's written into our foundational documents. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, Biden literally said this earlier into earlier into his campaign. He was asked about you know black men being killed by the police, and he was like, "Well, we as a country need to look critically at like racism because you know the black boy that was gunned down by the police, he could be the next poet laureate," and was applauded by an audience of people. And I'm sure there were black folk in that audience as well. I don't have to be shit. I don't have to be anything. Yeah. Even your understanding of me and you're wanting to protect me, because I think that we'll also see a resurgence of hoteps trying to protect black women, but also oppress them. Um, you me of Dr. Umar and I'm just like, <laughs> I've had enough. <laughs> I don't have to be your queen. Yeah. I don't have to be a queen. Most of our ancestors were not, I mean, yes, I love the whole Pan-Africanism and I love us, the resurgence of us looking into our history, but more than likely your ancestor was a cobbler. Your ancestor was probably making shoes and that is still noble. Your ancestor was feeding folks. That is still noble. You don't have to be anything to be deserving of respect and honor. 
I love that so much. I think that was a great way to really wrap it up, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> but um I know I talk a lot. That's my No, like we yeah, that's great. We love it. Like, um, but thank you so much for waking up at eight in the morning. <laughs> so um <laughs> if we would have known that we're we, there's a time difference, <laughs> I would have never chosen 10 30 a.m. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I'm six, so it's fine. Oh, oh, okay. Well, but why did you take care? I said on a Saturday too. Wow. Yeah, like just know we appreciate I'm you tired. though. We appreciate <laughs> everything that you've said today. Um, if you could just, I guess, give the listeners where they can find you, where they can listen to some more, you know, more of the things that you think and get to know you a little bit better. I appreciate the red carpet treatment I see. Uh, <laughs> so I on on the interwebs, um, my name is Mother Zaddy. M-U-V-A-Z-A-D-D-Y. Um Yeah. On Facebook. I'm on Facebook, but like I'm probably not gonna friend you. So um, <laughs> but for real, um I don't really post on my Instagram too much. Um I post on my Instagram story. So like don't follow me on Instagram. I mean, unless you want to keep up with my story. Um, Twitter's where I'm normally at. Um, and that's like where my thoughts are and things. Um, as far as like radio, um, currently uh, I produce um, Spoken Word Hour every first Sunday um, for KUNM 89.9 the Public Service at the University of New Mexico. Um, but I also may be transitioning to becoming a host. I might lose that show and um, gain two others. So yeah, just keep up with me on social. Um, Instagram if you want to watch my stories, but if you want to hear my thoughts. But if you follow me on Twitter, I, I do not censor myself. So. Okay, we'll definitely be looking forward to that. Definitely want to hear more of what you have to say. Hopefully the transition is amazing for you. So thank you again for just being on and speaking with us. And yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Alright guys, follow us at themeetup.pod on Instagram or themeetup underscore pod on Twitter or email us at themeetup.pod at gmail.com Yes. DM us. Tweet us. At us. Mention us. All of those things. Any questions y'all have? Anything you want to discuss? We're here for it. We want to hear it. We want to hear from you. Yes. All right, y'all. Well, that's it. That's it. Bye. Bye.